those who may not be aware, Valentine was actually a follower of Jesus Christ, a devout Christian, who at a point in his life was engaged to the love of his life and was very much looking forward to their union and to spending their lives together when the emperor actually had renounced Christianity and had outlawed it, and Valentine was actually faced with either stepping away from his faith and following his dream of his love and his marriage, or to stand for Christ, which he did, and he was thrown into prison and eventually executed. But the letters of love that exchanged between him and his fiancée uh, really is what became the beginning of what we call uh, Valentine's Day, and uh, Hallmark has been so wonderful for no ulterior motives but to create cards that we can buy and send. I kind of like making my own just because I'm cheap. But it means more when it comes from you, right? And they don't realize it's because you're cheap, but it does. No, but it means more. Uh, speaking of, uh, is Andrew here this morning? Andrew and Rochelle Dickey, are you guys here this morning? They're usually over this way. Or is mom and dad around here, the Dickies? No? Okay. Well, uh, we just wanted to, um, I don't have any projection. I guess you don't either. Jason's on the phone. Yeah, I'll have large uh, pizza toppings with three. It's like you folks on the phone, you pretend you're reading your Bibles during the sermon. I know you're on Facebook. You're checking your posts. Because it's more interesting that somebody like you than uh, whatever the Lord has to say about you. Well, you know what? This is, this is totally radical. I don't know if we've ever done this before, but I'm going to ask you to take out your Bible if you have one. Isn't that a crazy idea? If you actually bring your Bible, if you don't have one, I have one there. You can fight over it. Um, if you want to follow me, the scriptures. See, that's why you should always bring a hard copy. You just never know when things aren't going to work. Or you can bring out your Bible on the phone. That's fine, too. Uh, Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 to 25. We're going to read what traditionally we refer to as the Christmas story. But uh, it is, but it isn't. It's still the Word of God. It's still part of the whole of Scripture. And uh, so we call it the Christmas story. But uh, we're going to look at it this morning because I believe it has some lessons for us that we're going to talk about in the context of marriage and relationship. But uh, what I did want to say while you're looking up the scripture, Matthew chapter 1, is that uh, Andrew Dickey uh, received his doctorate of pharmacy uh, this past week. For those who didn't get a chance to see it on the Facebook. <laughs> doctorate of pharmacy. And uh, that's in a whole different league than me, wavelength. So I have great admiration uh, for anyone pursuing studies in that field, anything to do with chemistry, it wasn't my, uh, wasn't my forte in school. But uh, anyway, so congratulations, uh, Andrew. And what we'll do is uh, we'll kind of catch up on slides if we get that back up for you. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 to 25, we read, This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. Uh, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law or a righteous man, he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. 
The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Uh, how many uh, are glad that the uh, Chicago Cubs finally won the World Series? Isn't it kind of nice just to... I see Roger's hands way up there. By the way, Lord healed your shoulder last week, didn't he? We had prayer after. Roger came in with an uh, arm, whatever you call those things, sling, and kind of could go this far. And uh, now he's praising... Actually, Sunday night he's praising the Lord because uh, he thought the Patriots were going to lose. But last minute, we know that they won, pulled it through because uh, God's a Patriot. But, uh, so that's a wonderful testimony. Uh, for those who weren't here last Sunday, um, well, I mean, you know, look at the two teams. You got Atlanta and you got the, and you got the, the Patriots, right? Patriots wear blue, Atlanta wears red. Need I say more? Okay. I'm not going to explain it if you don't get it. In any case, uh, yeah, it was wonderful. We actually had a few healings last Sunday morning after the service. We thank the Lord for that. But uh, Ryan Sandberg was a, was a famous baseball player, a second baseman for the Chicago Cubs, and he was actually inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame back in 2005. And when he was given his induction speech, he began to tear up as he went on to explain that baseball, uh, being inducted into the Hall of Fame, was actually the second best thing that's ever happened to him in his life. And of course, people were kind of curious what he meant, but he went on to say this. He said, quote, my wife Margaret is the best thing that has ever happened to me. She is my best friend. She is the love of my life. She is my salvation. She is my past, my present, my future. She is my sun, my moon, my stars. She is everything that's good about life. And I thank her for entering my life at a time when I needed her most. Wow. <laughs> you guys want to call me, I can give you that. Okay, if you want to write that in a card. Because she'll forget this by tomorrow, but... You know, over the past 30 years of pastoral ministry, I've, I've, I've met with many a couple who were planning to get married. And so whether it was during pre-marriage counseling or somewhere along the line uh, on the way toward their wedding day, I've never met a couple, I've never met one of them who did not dream about having a relationship like this man just described, Ryan Sandberg. None of them planned to just survive their marriage. Every single couple I've ever met, they've always dreamed of having a Hall of Fame marriage. They've always dreamed being married to the kind of person who for the rest of their lives was going to draw the best out of each other. That together they're going to face every adversity that life would bring their way. Every couple I've spoken to, they all dreamed of having the kind of marriage that somewhere down the road, either friends or family, children, grandchildren, would look at their marriage and say, that's the kind of marriage I want. Now maybe you're here this morning and you are blessed with a marriage like that. Or maybe that's the kind of marriage that you long for. Or maybe, if you're honest, you really haven't given much thought to what kind of marriage you have anyway. Or maybe you're not married. Whatever your situation, there is a lesson for us here in what, again, we traditionally call the Christmas story. And even if you're not married, you can learn something this morning that I believe can be an encouragement to maybe somebody else who is, who's having relationship problems down the road. As you look at Mary and Joseph, I think it's probably safe to say they are God-fearing people. And so as people who love the Lord, who, who, who serve God, it's safe to assume that they probably began the relationship with just this vision of a wonderful life together. But when we read the story, we sometimes forget this, but by the time we read uh, the story and get to know them in Matthew's account, things really aren't going that well. 
they're having some very real struggles. You know, we read the story in a matter of one or two minutes, if that, and so we kind of blow through it, and we miss all the emotions that were involved in their relationship. And maybe that's the first thing that we uh, have to learn from them. As hard as it can be to face sometimes, it's really important as a couple that we learn to admit it when things aren't going well. That we learn to face it and admit it when things are going from better to worse. In fact, the title of my message this morning, since you don't have the overhead yet, I don't believe, is simply this, when for better gets worse. When for better gets worse. I want to ask for a show of hands, but some of you are nodding already. Matthew says in verse 18, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, it doesn't get much worse than that. Either the appearance of or the reality of unfaithfulness in a marriage relationship or a committed relationship. And the fact of the matter is I have found, and I'm sure that most of you agree, that oftentimes when there is contention, when there's separation, when there's a divorce, most times, with rare exception, because sometimes it isn't, but most times that is really only the result of a relationship that's been going bad for some time. It's not just something that's happened overnight. It's been something that's been en route maybe for many years or many months. In fact, what I have found as well, even in my own experience, is that it's frightening sometimes how, uh, how things can um, you know, go from better to worse or from good to tense or whatever in just little steps. It's not always big stuff, is it? It's not major stuff a lot of times. It's just little steps. It's just, you know, little steps of, uh, of uh, you know, just little things, little things that happen. You know, it's amazing that a couple can stand at the altar in the church and just be looking at each other's eyes so lovingly, just gazing each other's eyes with all their dreams. And in a matter of only a couple years, can't stand the sight of each other. You know, you wake up in the morning and, and she's just laying there or he's just laying there and just so peacefully sleeping and you just want to reach over and smack them. <laughs> I'm not saying it's me, but by the laughter, some of you can relate. I've spoken to couples like that. And a number of times when I've sat down with couples and tried to get to a sense of what's really happening or what's wrong, it's amazing how oftentimes you'll hear something like this, well, I'm just so tired of her putting me down, or I'm so tired of her, you know, rolling her eyes when I, when I say something, or, or she'll say, you know, I'm just, I'm tired of having another kid in the house, I'm tired of, of picking up after him. And I'll, and I'll say to them, so what you're telling me is you want to separate because of rolled eyes and laundry on the floor. That's why you want to end your marriage. And I know it's not that trite, but the response is oftentimes, yes, but also a million things like that. It's not just those little things, but it's a number of little things. Why is that? It's because I believe that romance, it blossoms, it grows in leaps and bounds. I mean, romance just takes off. It's all idealistic, what we call in counseling, idealistic distortion. You know, it's just all so wonderful. It happens so fast, but it dies by little steps. It dies by a little bit of hurt, a little bit of disappointment. It dies by a little bit of disrespect, a little bit of offense, whatever it may be, just little things. In fact, so oftentimes those little things seem to be so small that you feel like it's actually kind of silly to even talk about it. It's kind of silly to bring it up, you know, so why bother? But what happens is 
We don't bring it up. We don't talk about it. We push it down, and it becomes yet another layer on our heart that just, that just seems to harden our heart and, and make us less responsive and, and make us less hopeful and, and, and become more and more hurt. It becomes like a scar tissue on our heart and in our relationship. I'm sure you've experienced sometimes where, you know, maybe it begins by complaining about certain behaviors. And then if it doesn't stop there, it moves on to criticizing that person's motivation and their personalities. And then ultimately, if you don't get a handle on it, you'll come to a place that you actually condemn that person for who they are and even their own sense of worth. And sometimes the, the issues, those little things can build up so much that all of a sudden one time they just explode and they explode with such a force there just comes this flow of hurt or verbiage or argument, whatever the case may be, that becomes so overwhelming. It's almost like it's a wave that knocks the person off their feet and they just don't know how to come back. They don't know what to say. And it can go both ways. We grow defensive, we become distant, and then we shut down. And you may even keep up the chores, you may keep up the public image, you may still go through the motions of raising your kids, you love your kids, you may fulfill some of your responsibilities, but the reality is you're no longer each other's sun and moon. You're no longer the best thing that ever happened to each other. You're no longer best friends, and you're no longer in this together. What I'm trying to say is that it's really tempting sometimes in a marriage relationship, number one, to think that we're the only ones going through this, but it's also tempting to ignore reality, and yet it's there. It's something you both know. It's the elephant in the room. It's the issue. It's the reality, but neither one is really dealing with it. It's kind of like Mary and Joseph, I think, in the initial outburst of, of the news that they had discovered. They had a dream. They had an idealized idea of what the relationship, their future was going to be, and all of a sudden, this curveball comes, and they they both have to respond in a certain way if it's going to work, but their dream has been changed. I want to ask you this morning, have you faced the truth of what's going on in your home? Wherever you may be this morning, even if your marriage is not really going through a rocky time, but it's not really where it would be ideally, have you, do you have the courage to face that? When was the last time you really looked at where things are and asked yourself, are we realizing our dreams? Is our marriage all that it can be? Have we taken each other for granted? Or perhaps are there issues that we do have to face? Because I hope that it's wonderful for all of us, but the reality is there are times. And I'll tell you this, friends, I hear it all the time. There are times when people wonder, did I marry the right person? Don't raise your hands. <laughs> but most of us have thought that. And it doesn't even mean that you dwell on it. It just means that we have an enemy. His name is the devil, and he will shoot that idea through your head. If only for a fleeting second, even if you don't lay hold of it, he'll shoot that through your head. You're not happy because you married the wrong person. Or maybe if it's not that, then maybe sometimes you wonder if, regardless of who's responsible, if the relationship is ever going to be what you dreamed it could be. You know, it's been said that a relationship between a husband and wife is psychological. One is psycho, and one is logical. You can decide which one you are. But the first lesson we learn from this story is we have to admit it when things are going badly. Hear me, saints, there's no shame in that. There's no defeat in that. The Lord has brought us together to be a pair who does battle together against a common enemy. 
But the first thing we have to do is have the strength and the honesty and integrity to be able to talk to each other and admit that things are not really better, but maybe they're getting worse. A second lesson, I think, here in this story is when things have gone from bad to worse, we have to remember that we have options. And like Joseph, we have to consider the options. Seriously, sit down and consider the options. Now, the most obvious option in a difficult relationship is to do what? It's to walk away, right? In our culture, it's to walk away. And I have found that you'll be hard-pressed to find somebody outside of the church, and unfortunately sometimes inside the church, but certainly in the workplace, if you're feeling that way, you'll be hard-pressed to find somebody in the workplace who will actually tell you otherwise. If you feel it's over, if you feel, you know, if you've got your arguments all lined up in your head and why, whatever the case may be, what is the response in the office? It's usually, you're right. Yeah, you deserve better, right? You deserve to be happy. You don't have to put up with that. You've got your rights, whatever it may be. You'll be hard-pressed to find someone to tell you anything other than that. A lady in our congregation was invited to a get-together with a number of women. All the women were invited in the office place where she worked. And it was actually a, a, a tea they were having at lunchtime, I think it was, where they were celebrating this one lady's one-year anniversary of her divorce. They were celebrating it. And uh, maybe it was some kind of therapy, I don't know. But what really saddened this Christian lady was, number one, the event itself, the purpose for the event. She went along with the ladies. But what also saddened her was the realization that out of 15 women in that group, she was the only one still married. The only one still married to her original spouse. You see, when your relationship is struggling or when your relationship seems like it's over, you need to remember that you have options. But more importantly than remembering you have options, you need to surround yourself with individuals who will suggest to you God's options, who will give you divine options, who won't just be like a broken record that our culture is today, but will actually speak some wisdom and perspective into your life. A number of years ago, when we were pastor in Newfoundland, Vanessa worked at a very high-end gift store uh, that was run by a number of ladies. And this one particular lady was going through a very difficult time in her marriage. She was very frustrated, very hurt, and, and her husband was kind of the quiet type, and, and she didn't feel she was understood, and, and she had all these... You know what happens, friends? We all do it, don't we? You're alone with your thoughts, and if you don't submit those thoughts to the Lord, the enemy gets those thoughts, and off you go. All the reasons why you're hurt, all the reasons why it's your right, all, whatever the case may be. And so she was kind of going through that, and all the ladies in the store were basically parroting each other. Yes, just like I mentioned earlier, yeah, you need to leave him. Yeah, he doesn't deserve you. You deserve to be happy. You need to get out of this relationship, whatever the case may be. That's what she got from everybody. But she knew that Vanessa was different. Vanessa had a different worldview. There was something different with the way Vanessa conducted herself, and we know what it is as a child of God. And so she spoke to Vanessa, and she said, you know, she laid out the same thing, and maybe she was expecting the same kind of response, but Vanessa very simply spoke to her in a loving, caring way and just gave her some divine options. And one of those divine options was, listen, you need to talk to your husband, and you need to talk to him in the right spirit. You need to go to him with kindness, with love, with a desire to work on something together, to talk together. Do that. Don't go with your hair standing at the back of your neck. Don't go with all your arguments. Go with somebody as somebody who actually wants this marriage to work and talk to him. And when the lady came back, I believe it was the next day, or whenever they were together working again and sure with Vanessa that she did just that. Rather than taking the other women's advice and go with guns blazing and, and blow everything up, 
was to go with that right attitude, with that right heart. And they had a wonderful conversation, and the relationship was mended rather than being ended. All because of what? Because of divine options. Because there is a way that leads to life, and there is a way that leads to death. Now, when you look at this story, nobody would have blamed Joseph for leaving Mary, who had apparently been unfaithful. Uh, we read in the scriptures that, that he was planning to divorce her quietly, but Mo Joseph really had every right to divorce her loudly, if you know what I'm saying. For what, in that context of what he understood before they encountered God, he had every right not to believe her story. He had every right to believe that she had been unfaithful to him and become pregnant by another man. And can you imagine how that would have hurt the devastation. Can you imagine not only personally, emotionally, what he would have endured, but in his mind, okay, how am I going to work this out? What am I going to do? What about my future? What about what people are going to think about me? And Whatever the case may be. And he would have had every right to say to Mary, listen, you have hurt me. You have hurt me. You have disgraced me. And I'm going to disgrace you. And I'm going to publicly embarrass you, just like you've embarrassed me. I want you to feel the hurt that I feel. Sound familiar? Mary could have done the same thing. She was the innocent party. Even though Joseph didn't believe her, she was still innocent. She could have lashed back at Joseph and said, figures, I knew you would do that. I knew you'd respond that way. You don't understand. You never understand me. You always think about yourself. You're so selfish. You're not the man I thought you were. I'm glad you're not going to marry me. You can go. I don't need you. I know most of you can't relate because you're always so calm when you've been hurt or misunderstood. But you see, they could have done that. They could have gone their ways. They could have just, you know, hashed this thing out. In fact, who even knows what kind of conversation they had. But the second option they had, which is the one that Joseph followed, was he opted to divorce her quietly. And that's another option. It takes a lot more character to do that. But Matthew says in verse 19, because Mary's husband Joseph was a good man, he did not want to disgrace her in public, so he planned to divorce her quietly. And you know, a number of couples do that. A number of couples come up with the idea, and, and, and I, I, I appreciate that for the sake of the children and so on, but they'll, they'll say things like, oh, look, it, it didn't work out. It's not going to work out. We, we don't need to hurt each other. We don't need to hurt the kids. We don't need to drag the family through all of this. Why don't we just go our way quietly? Another Bible translation says that Joseph planned to divorce her secretly. Secretly. And when I read that, I thought of how many couples seem to have it all together but they don't. We don't always have it together. In fact, I've learned, and I think you know this as well, you can never gauge the state of a marriage just by looking at people. You have no idea what's going on behind closed doors. You have, I'm not saying that people are hypocritical, but we don't want to wear our emotions on our sleeve or ear our dirty laundry kind of thing, and so we kind of keep it to ourselves. We keep things in secret. And we may still go through the motions and go through our responsibilities, but inside we're dying. Inside we feel like the marriage is over. In fact, I've seen couples, you know, walking who are holding hands together because they're madly in love. And I've seen other couples who I know aren't, things aren't going well and they still hold hands because I think if they're afraid that they let go, they'll kill each other. So you just don't know. You don't know from the outside how things are really going secretly in a person's home, in a person's marriage. Mary and Joseph, they could have just shut down. They could have kept up their appearances for family and friends, but yet just shut down themselves, stayed in the marriage, and yet giving up. And friends, it's really tempting to do that when you feel like you don't have options. It's really tempting to feel that, to do that when the devil makes you feel like you're the only ones going through this. 
You're the only ones that have these kind of problems. Everybody else looks like they have a happy marriage. Everybody, whatever. You know, I just learned this past week of a Christian couple who've separated and, and are headed toward divorce that I've known for many years. Had no idea. Had, had lost touch in the last couple of years, but had no idea. You just don't know. And so can I encourage you, if you're going through a struggle in your relationship, if you're going through a, a season of a bad marriage, most of the other couples are too. Does that encourage you? I won't say it. I'm half teasing. But don't allow the devil to make you believe you're the only ones having a struggle. You're the only one going through a dry time or the only ones going through a difficult time, whatever season you may find yourself in. In fact, if you're following the Bible reading plan that we have on the website, uh, you would have read Exodus chapter 6. If everything's lined up properly on Friday, I was reading my devotions, my quiet time, and I found it interesting in, in reading about how the people of Israel, they'd have been slaves for Egypt for generations by now. It's the only life they'd ever known. And God sends Moses to them with a message of hope and deliverance. He sends a word of truth. And Moses declares that truth to them, that God wants to bring you out of this slavery. God is a land flowing with milk and honey. We all know the story he wants to take you to. But verse 9 says this, But they refused to listen anymore. Why? Because their spirit had been broken by their cruel taskmaster, their cruel slavery. Let that sink in. They refused to listen, not because innately they were rebellious. They were just so hurt. They'd been beaten down so many times, they just couldn't believe. And friends, I want to encourage you this morning, if you're at that place, it doesn't mean you're a hypocrite as a Christian. It doesn't mean God looks at you and judges you and writes you off because somehow you've been a terrible, disobedient child. The Lord understands how we can get beaten and beaten and beaten to a place where it's so hard, we hear the words, but it's so hard to believe it actually happened to us. And yet as discouraged and beaten down as we may feel sometimes, I want us to understand that turnaround begins when we understand who the real enemy is who the real enemy is. Can I encourage you to realize this morning your enemy is not the person with whom you have a covenant relationship, who no doubt themselves are probably frustrated and are probably hurting as well. Our common enemy, the Bible says, is the cruelest of taskmasters. Our common enemy is the devil. Our common enemy are demonic entities who come against us relentlessly for one purpose, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That is who our enemy is. And in the times that we feel like we don't have options, in the times that we feel like things have just gone so far, or they've been stale for so long, or the dreams have died, and we're just kind of on a treadmill, and we're not going anywhere. Friends, we need to understand the person we stood at the altar with and made a covenant contract agreement with is not our enemy. That is our strongest ally. If we can turn together and face the enemy together, as the Scripture says, that three-chord strand with Christ is not easily broken. And we can send 10,000 to flight. We have divine options. Now, if you know anything about the ministry of glad tidings, then you know that we believe in showing grace to those who feel like they're at the end of the rope. And friends, hear my heart. I've said this before, but when it comes to trouble in a marriage, when it comes to trouble in a relationship, I believe with all my heart there is not a single person who wants to get out of the relationship. 
What we want to get out of are all the little things that are causing the pain and the frustration and the hurt and the discouragement. That's what we want to stop. If we had our way, we'd want the relationship to continue. We just don't see how it's going to change in our own understanding. We just want the pain to stop. We just want the emptiness to stop. So I want to be clear this morning and say that my purpose is not to beat up on anybody. If you're at a place in your marriage where you've come to the end of your own resources and you want to give up, or you've experienced a failed marriage in the past, I want you to know I'm not saying anything I'm saying to hurt you any further or to shame you any further. That is not what I'm talking about this morning. What I am saying, hear me, friends, I know this can sound cliche, but it is so true, and I can get people up here to testify to this over and over again this morning. What I am saying is that our God, if you really believe He's God, if you really believe He is who He says He is, our God is a God of restored relationships. That's who He is. If he could make you his child when you're in the kingdom of darkness and translate you into the kingdom of light, if he could snatch you from hell and make you destined for heaven, friends, he can do anything. He really can. His love is powerful. It's not a syrupy, emotional feeling. His love, his grace is a strength. It, it, it's like pouring metal down your spine and giving you backbone to be able to stand. It's giving you hope. It's a ray of light. It is truth that penetrates the lies of the enemy and the darkness and begins to help you to see a way again that you can walk step by step until he brings you, as Scripture says, into the full light of day and all that he plans for you and to make your life a testimony, experiencing something you thought you could never experience because our God is a God of restored relationships. He's a God of new beginnings. But here's the key. It is oftentimes only when we come to the end of our own dreams that God can give us his dream in a way that we can actually see it. You see, we're so caught up so oftentimes with what we imagine our life to be or marriage to be, relationship to be. It really is fundamentally so often about us. That's not what covenant is. That's not what a covenant relationship is. It's not just about us. We've got another person in this bargain, in this relationship. But the Lord wants to give us his dream. And sometimes he has to bring us to the end of what has been our dream because it's so far beneath what he has for us. The Bible says in verse 20 that after Joseph considered this, it is his options, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Friends, I don't think we realize how much of the breakdowns in our lives and relationships is solely because of fear. It's because of a situation. It's because of, of hurt, whatever it may be. And we so often, we, we, we respond out of our fear, don't we? We respond out of our hurt. We respond out of our anger. We respond out of all of our natural senses. And all the ensuing complications just flow from just the fear that comes with what we're dealing with. But he said to Joseph, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. She will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. What is the angel saying? He's saying the very circumstance that you fear means the death of your relationship is actually something God will use to bring to death what you think your dreams are or what they should be, what your rights are, and to actually begin to bring salvation to your relationship, to bring new hope, to bring a new relationship. You may be wondering, well, Paul, is that even possible? Is that possible? 
Is it possible for us to find ourselves in a place where it just seems like our lives are so riddled with so many little things that have piled up that are not what we wanted, not what we expected? Is it possible that all those little things that have piled up over the years or over the months are things that were necessary to get us to the place where God could actually save us, where God could actually break us, where God could actually bring us to a place of new beginning to help us to understand what life really is, what love really is, what relationship is really intended to be, what looks like an impenetrable barrier. Friends, if we will learn to lean into it and to lean into it together can actually become a bridge to a brand new life and a brand new relationship. But it takes faith and it takes courage. You know, I've found that individuals going through a difficult time in their relationship, they sometimes struggle with what I would call a false choice. And the false choice goes like this. Do I leave the marriage so I can be happy? Or do I stay in the marriage for the sake of family or those concerned, even though I'm going to be unhappy? Have you ever heard that choice in some way or another? I mean, that's my choice. I'm not happy right now, so I either leave so I can be happy or I stay for the sake of whoever and I remain unhappy. The truth is that in most cases, it's been proven that separation or divorce are not the way back to happiness. That's not how you find happiness again. In fact, I have a Christian lawyer friend who said many, many years ago, I've never forgotten, he said, Paul, he's a, he's a lawyer that deals oftentimes with relationships and, and, and tries to help people transitioning through divorce, tries to talk them out if he can as a Christian man, but sometimes success, sometimes not. But he says, I always tell them this. He said, you're looking at walking away from your relationship because you think it's the way out, you think it's easier, it's going to be easier. He said, I can tell you from my experience, if you would put into your relationship the energy it's going to take you to break up your relationship, you'd find a new relationship with the person you're with already. Does that make sense? People don't realize the energy, and for any of you who've gone through it, you know what I'm talking about, the energy of breaking up a relationship. If you would put that into investing in your relationship, you'd be amazed what can happen. Now, please understand, I'm not talking about violent, physical abuse, those kind of things. If you're in that situation, you've got to get out of that at least for a time that there can come some kind of counseling or, or reparation or healing, whatever. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what we might call normal relationships and the emotional things that we have sometimes as we struggle through together. I know it can be incredibly difficult to face some of the issues we struggle with as couples, but it's proven time and time again that most unhappy marriages become happy when couples stay together. In one national survey, I'll just kind of read this way, don't miss it, but in one national survey, hundreds of couples were surveyed, only 10% of individuals said they were unhappy. That's still a significant number, who said they were unhappy at that time of the survey. 2% of the hundreds surveyed said they were very unhappy. What was interesting in this study, it actually followed these couples for another five years. Those who either said they were unhappy or very unhappy followed them for five more years. Within that space of five years, 15% of those couples eventually ended up getting a divorce, but 85% hung on. 
The better news is this. Of those who hung on, more than 70% of the unhappy couples who avoided separation said they ended up happily married to the same spouse within that five-year period. And of the unhappiest couples, 80% said they were now happy. The survey went on to say this proves that couples often overcome serious problems in their marriage to find even greater happiness. Uh, Judith Viorst is an American author and journalist, and she said this, One advantage of marriage, it seems to me, is that when you fall out of love with each other, it keeps you together until maybe you fall in love again. Any of you married folk out there agree? We have one brave soul. <laughs> Rabin, you, you can hit him. Go ahead. No one's going to argue with you. <laughs> the survey goes on to say, at the end of the day, more than 94% of married individuals who said their marriage at some point was in trouble said they were glad they were still together. One such couple in the survey They'd actually gone through a very traumatic situation with adultery. Four years later, they said they both said they had never been happier, and they were so thankful they had chosen to work through what seemed to be impossible at the time of discovery. It goes on to say their four children were able to have a complete family. Both spouses experienced forgiveness, healing, and changing. Now, that doesn't mean that, the, that that decision is possible for every single person. But this couple was happy with the decision to stay married. I want to be clear this morning, I don't understand your situation, and I better not wing that last page or you could be here all morning. And only you can decide what's best for you and your family. But I want to encourage you this morning, if you're sitting here as a, as a couple, if you're sitting here in a relationship, and you can relate to some of the struggles I've been sharing, I want to encourage you this morning that you would choose to strengthen your relationship rather than ending it. But not just ending it. I want to encourage you this morning to consciously choose to strengthen your relationship rather than just enduring it. When the Lord said, you know, when, this, when we say, till death do us part, you know, it doesn't mean that you have to be dying until you're dead. You know, it doesn't mean you kind of have to grin and bear it. It's not what it's talking about. And so if you're here this morning and you're kind of enduring it or it's not what you dream, whatever the case may be, I want to encourage you this morning that you can strengthen your marriage. And you might say, well, Paul, what does that look like in practice? Let me give you just a couple of practical things before we go to the Lord's table this morning. The first thing I believe it can mean sometimes is just you go before God in prayer about your marriage. Let me ask you, when was the last time you prayed about your marriage? I don't mean when was the last time you prayed for God to change your spouse. I don't mean that. I don't mean when was the last time you asked God to change his word so you can get out. not talking about that. When was the last time you actually went to God in prayer for your marriage? That you went to God in prayer and said, Lord, would you restore to me the dream that you had for us when you brought us together? Would you restore for me somehow just the, the dream of, of what I need to be to release what you want to release in my spouse's life? Would you remind me of what a covenant relationship is about? Would you remind me the reason I fell in love with this person? Have you ever prayed that? Lord, remind me why I fell in love with them. You see, one of the problems in marriage is that we get so used to each other is that we think we know them, but we just kind of got used to them. 
We don't really know them. In fact, oftentimes they're one thing outside of the home than they are inside of the home. Why? Not because they're hypocritical. It's that when they get out of the home, it's like they can breathe. They, they can actually be among people who don't know all their faults and don't pick on them. And you think, oh, they're being a hypocrite. No, they're not. They're being the person that you actually fell in love with, and you've got to learn to fall in love with again because that's who they are. Why can't they have that freedom in the home? Why can't they be who they truly want to be? What you fell in love with, they can be. Another thing you can do is ask your spouse to pray with you. Do you realize the most intimate act you'll ever share as a couple is praying together? Let me say that again. The most intimate act you will ever experience with your spouse is just to pray together. Why don't couples pray together? Oh, sometimes your schedules don't connect. I understand that. But the problem with praying together is you have to be vulnerable. You've got to be vulnerable with somebody who knows you don't have your act together. They may even know your blemishes. And the devil's going to be in your mind thinking, oh, what are you doing that for? They know you're not spiritual. No, see, he knows that when you get spiritual as a couple, that's when you begin to make inroads in your relationship. That's when you begin to drive him out of your relationship. He wants to keep you from praying together. And when you pray together, ask God to forgive both of your sins. You ever done that? You ever confess your sin to God in front of your spouse in prayer? You know, the Lord doesn't mind. Lord, forgive me for being a jerk. The Lord would say, yes, you are. He knows. Be honest with each other. Pray together. Ask the Lord to supernaturally give you the love and respect that your partner craves. That person that used to do the best thing that ever happened to you. And then finally, if you feel like you've come to the end of your resources, can I encourage you this morning to find some new resources that will open your eyes to what God has for you? Proverbs 1 says, let the wise listen and, and add to their learning. And let the discerning get guidance. Are you open to guidance? Even if you're here this morning and have a good marriage, why not, why not do what you have to do to make it great? John Gottman has a, a good resource called Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work. Gary Smalley, many of us know that name, he's written a book called The DNA of Relationships. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we shared that you can find some of the best resources in the world uh, to strengthen your marriage on rightnowmedia.com. If you're new to Glad Todd, this is a resource kind of like a Christian Netflix. You've just, just got hundreds and thousands of, of speakers on every possible topic. Why not, rather than watching a movie one night or Netflix, why not sit down with your spouse and go into, on Right Now Media and de- just download something regarding marriage, just an aspect of marriage relationship that you can look at, be encouraged, learn some new things, take some notes. Right Now Media. Uh, you can contact the office. You want to get on there. We pay for the resource, so it's even free to you. So take advantage of that. God will use these resources to show you what his dream is for your marriage and to move you along in the right direction. You see, one of the reasons why we need these good resources if we're going to strengthen our marriage is because we have to be reminded of what's actually possible. There was a man I read about this past week. His name was Slats Grubnik. I think he's Polish. But he sells Christmas trees in Chicago. And he tells a true story of, a, of an evening when he was selling trees, and this couple came along who was evidently very poor, didn't have much money at all, but they were looking for a tree. They couldn't afford anything that he had, so they were kind of walking along, and they found this one little tree that looked pretty nice, but when they, when they pulled it away, it was like a Charlie Brown tree on the other side. It was just all dead branches and all dried up, and so they, they took that one, they walked a little ways along, and they found another one that wasn't even as good as that, and they decided to take the two trees, and they paid uh, slats a couple bucks. Thought nothing of it. A few nights later, a Slatch was on his way home, just walking down the street. He looked up in an apartment window, and he saw this incredibly beautiful tree. 
And he just stood there for a moment. What, what even amazed him more was this couple came to the window, coincidentally at the same time looking out, and he saw who it was, this couple that had bought these dead old trees. And so he went up, curiosity at the best of me, and said, where did you get this beautiful tree? And I think you know what happened. They said, we took those two trees that were dead on one side, and we took ours intertwining all the branches, all the leaves, brought them together until the two beautiful sides were showing, took some wire, tied it around the two trunks, held it together, so it, it hid all the ugliness, and all you could see was the beauty on the outside. And when I read that story, I thought, you know what, that's true of marriage. Marriage is essentially two people who aren't perfect. They don't have it all together. Through the course of the day, through work, wherever they may be, people see the beautiful side. You know? You know, I mean, maybe even married somebody that maybe nobody else even wanted. But you marry that person. And, and like I say, they go to work, they go to school, wherever it may be, and everybody sees the beautiful side, but then they come home to live with you, who has to live with the ugly side. But that's the way God has made it. God has given us beautiful sides, and he's given us sides that are drying up and dead, sides that are dysfunctional, but we all need the same thing. We need love. We need to be loved. We need someone that we can trust with our vulnerabilities, with our ugliness, with our weakness, somebody who will help draw out the best in us, somebody who will see both things, that when we come together, that's why you marry the person who's an opposite personality. If you married somebody the same personality as you, you would probably beat them up. That's why we marry. That's why opposites attract. Isn't that true? Because we see in that person some things that we're not. And they see in us some th- So we're drawn to each other. It's kind of like those, you know, I was going to say tacky. I won't say tacky, but I guess I just did. Remember years ago, you, you used to buy those little hearts, the, his, him and her heart, they were half a heart each. And when you put them together, they make a whole heart. You ever remember those? Maybe it was only me that shopped at consumer distributors back in those days. Remember that story? Get your jewelry to a warehouse. But um, that's, that's kind of what we're like. And to me, that's what marriage is really all about. But the problem is, like Florence Littauer once said, is we marry a person's strength and we go home to live with their weaknesses. And we forget what the covenant of marriage is and how beautiful things can really be and a relationship can really be when we come together, God can make something beautiful. I'm going to ask the musicians to join me as we just come to the Lord's table this morning in closing. But I want to ask you this morning if you really think that's possible. You see, to me, as people of God who know the Lord, there ought to be something different about us. And one of those things ought to be the understanding, the belief that God's dream can be our dream. That God can take two selfish sinners and bring them together and really create something beautiful. And that's exactly what happened with Mary and Joseph. Listen to these two verses. Will you read this one with me from Luke chapter 1? These are the words of Mary. She said, I am the Lord's servant, and I am willing to do whatever he wants. May everything you said come true. And the next verse, when Joseph awoke, he did as the angel commanded and brought Mary home to be his wife. But she remained a virgin until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. Jesus is the one who takes two imperfect people And by his love and by his grace, he is able to make something truly remarkable so that people who know you may even know some of your weaknesses and wonder, how in the world do you guys survive? How do you thrive? And you can say, because of the love and the grace of God and what God is doing in and through our lives. 
for one another who can really make something beautiful.